This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. As we reported earlier on Zoomer Radio News, there is a first public indication in 16 months that Toronto police homicide investigators are getting somewhere on the murders of Honey and Barry Sherman. One of the lead investigators told court yesterday detectives have a working theory of what happened. Joining me to discuss is our security expert and former police officer Ross McLean. Ross, haven't talked to you in a while. How are you? I'm good today. Busy news day. Yes. What can you share without compromising the investigation? Well, it's tough to compromise this investigation because there really is so little that's been put out. But what we found, as you uh, as you indicated from your earlier newscast, is the one of the officers who's in charge of looking after all of the warrants uh, that are put out in this case was uh, being cross-examined by uh, lawyers from the Toronto Star who are trying to get access to the information to publish it. And what we're able to do is glean from the questions he would answer and the ones he wouldn't answer a little bit of, a little bit more of an idea about what road the case is going down and how far they are down that road. Okay, go ahead. Well, they're not very far down that road, is, yeah. is what it seems. The, it indicates uh, the officer that they've put out a lot of warrants to obtain information, electronic records, uh, that could be everything from banking to phone records to geolocation records to to just about anything else. They've put out uh, warrants to get them. They're indicating that they have not received a lot of that information yet, but they're expecting to receive it, and it's going to be uh, basically a mountain of evidence, uh, material that they're going to have to go through and look at. So that may help to indicate that that they'll be able to track down and put a few more things together. They also indicate that of all the people that they've talked to, uh, they don't want to reveal any of their uh, identification, who they are, what they've said. They have said, though, that some people will not talk to them, and some they can't track down who have left the country. So that's about how far along we know that they are, and I think that these uh, electronic records will be a key to perhaps moving past what seems to be a roadblock in this case. So the detective you're referencing, Constable Dennis Yim, is quoted in the Star as saying they have an idea of what happened. An idea of what happened. So what could that, I know a lot of what you and I are talking about today is speculation, but based on your expertise, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, what, what, what he's really saying there is they can rule out all kinds of other causes. Like they could rule out, for instance, that there'd be evidence that, uh, something like, you know, Barry pushed her down the stairs, then killed himself, then strung each. Like they can rule out all kinds of different, uh, ways that it could have happened. And what that does, that leads you with a little bit more, uh, tighter indications of how it did happen, which points you in the direction of why and helps to uh, uh, focus your investigative uh, questions and resources a little bit better. So they'll have some ideas about why this happened, how how specific that is. Uh, we're not sure. 
Right. And he said specifically to a star reporter uh, who asked him about the theory of the case, he, he refused to answer that question, whether there was any theory, whether police have identified or named a suspect or suspects. Right. Because as we've discussed before, Jane, I mean, there's there must be, this is like the game of Clue that we used to play when we were children. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's got to be a minimum of 20 suspects with 20 different motivations and reasons, each one of them uh, somewhat different. And if the police, I, I guess they feel if they were to indicate uh, down one road, that could uh, alert the person that they may be looking at if they are looking at somebody. Uh, but once again, that's a bit of speculation. I'm not sure they're that far down the road, but we'll wait and see. If they're going to have something to break... I guess we'll hear about it. Let's review the case. Uh, It goes back to December 2017, so almost a year and a half ago. Uh, Recap for us uh, what what happened in terms of uh, what was found, uh, where the bodies were found, uh, some of the incorrect theories right off the top, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, of course, uh, what happened was it, it came out so quietly that these are two such prominent prominent in, individuals in, in the world, if not within uh, Canada, if not within Toronto. They were very prominent. And the way that the death was uh, apparent, the deaths were being investigated and the initial information that came out uh, totally downplayed the, to it to the point that it seemed more like it was one of these murder-suicide sort of things with no suspects and we're not looking anywhere. And uh, a lot of people were very concerned when the information came out later about the state that these bodies were found in. I mean, it was just one of the most gruesome, uh, you know, sort of way to find a body and to have somebody murdered that one could imagine. And it seemed to be inconsistent with the way that the police were first portraying the information. So that led to a lot of, uh, certainly a lot of speculation. And, and what did come out after is some of the timeline about what Barry and Honey were doing during that day, how they came to be home, and where they end up being murdered, and when they were uh, eventually discovered. So a lot of that timeline came out. And uh, we're still waiting to to see what that's providing any fruit. You know what I I find uh, sort of shocking, staggering? People of uh, this stature, who would be so well-connected at any moment of any day, be it the phone, appointments, and so on, what has come out is it's believed they were murdered two days before, on the evening of Wednesday, December 13th. They weren't discovered for two full days. There, I mean, there must have been all kinds of people reaching out to try to talk to them. Especially because of the, they were the, the Jewish holiday season was underway. And I, I cannot imagine, as you say, two people of that stature, and certainly Honey was a, a social... Uh, power and a social butterfly. And uh, even on a, I can imagine a slow day for them would be very, very busy. And they would have obligations that they would not be discovered before then. Uh, two days is a long time. One yeah. could understand hours, maybe even a day. But it's just unbelievable to think it was two days during that time of the season for two people who are so highly, highly visible. And and the, it was a real estate agent, right, who made the discovery of the bodies? Yeah. I mean, you can only imagine how that was. You're walking someone through to show a house and yes. you open a door and you see that. I mean, apparently they, they, she tried to basically turn them away and say it was something else and then, and then called the police. Uh, I mean, we really haven't heard a really good firsthand, um, uh, cover of what happened to her. 
seeing that. There's still a lot that we just don't know, although we do know that this has probably been the most forensically investigated crime scene. Right, that's what I wanted to ask you about the DNA collected at the scene. Well, they had everybody there. When I was uh, outside the house one time, I saw this one uh, gentleman coming up, and the the person I knew on the private investigative team didn't really want me to take a picture with his face or say that he was there or anything else at the time. And, you know, later we were able to say, but he was one of the top uh, forensic ident people that you'll find anywhere in the world. He did laser fingerprint recovery and all of these sort of things. And uh, he went through the house uh, looking at everything. So that house has certainly been been documented. And right now, I'm, you know, I'm not too sure. I think they got the house boarded up and they've got the, the permit to have it knocked down, right. although it's going to be a heck of a house to knock down. Right. It's uh, 50 Old Colony Road near Bayview Avenue and Highway 401. And needless to say, it's a mansion, right? It's it's Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, I mean, it was built by, I, my understanding is by an Israeli architect who built it in the form of the way they were building houses in the West Bank. It's poured concrete with rebar through it. And if you look at it from the front, people look at the pictures of it from the front. You, there's no real windows. You can't really see in. Yet one side of it is, is well open. Uh, but it's going to be a a job to knock that thing down. It's 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 built like a like a fortress. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, along with Ross McLean, our security expert, former police officer. Will you take a call here from one of our listeners, Ross? Certainly. Okay, Margaret and Kitchener, go ahead. Uh, yes, my name is Margaret, and I have heard from numerous uh, people in high places that this was a mafia hit, a revenge killing, and. Well, you know how talk gets around. I don't know if it is or isn't, but I just thought I'd put that in there. Okay, thank you, Margaret. So, okay, bye-bye. A little bit of a movie plot uh, maybe around this case, Ross. Well, let me tell you, on the day that this came down, the phones around Toronto and around the world were flying with people who knew uh, the Shermans. And in fact, when it first came out, and this was being portrayed as a as a uh, murder-suicide or a double-suicide. Uh, I personally spoke to one person on the phone who knew the Shermans very well. And, and in fact, they had received a lot of money over the years from the Shermans and donating to them. And uh, I talked to him and I said, look, my understanding is this is the way the police are portraying it. And that person just said, no way. Barry would never, like, everybody who is anybody who knows the Shermans would not accept that. I've never seen such pushback in my life on that. And the stories that then have since gone around uh, with people talking about this case are numerous. And certainly that is one of them. And it certainly is very much a graphic, almost mob-style hit with people the way that they were killed. I mean, that's certainly one of the theories. Right. And how well it would appear they've covered their tracks. Well, covered the tracks, or others would say, how hard were their tracks being run down in the first place? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine if I was the first officer on scene, Jane, and I rolled up and I got this call for, you know, uh, you know, medical emergency. Uh, that's usually how it comes across. It's in fire, police, and ambulance. And you go there and you go downstairs and you see these two people hanging uh, beside a pool, uh, having been strangled like that how that would be anything less than seen as some kind of horrific murder (laughs) is beyond me and why it would not get uh, the highest and fastest attention to be dealt with in a different way is sort of beyond me. That's why it's kind of crazy to see how the police first uh, responded. Yeah. And how they characterized it so definitively so quickly. I mean, not, not in an official way, but that's certainly what ended up getting printed. Well, I was at the scene. I, I rolled right up on the house, the snowstorm and everything. And one of the first things that struck me, 
uh, Jane, was I pulled up and they have police tape up, but it's just across the front of the property. And I'm looking at that walking up. There's already tons of reporters there and other things going on. And I can't even think of a minor violent crime that I've been to in the city of Toronto when I've shown up to try and cover it where they don't have the street blocked off. So they didn't block the street off. And as it turns out, uh, after the thaw, uh, I was there on the scene when another reporter who was there looked down and saw what appeared to be an earring sitting in the gutter outside on the street. And uh, one of the private investigators uh, went up and seized it and put it in his evidence. And it looks very much like uh, one of Honey's uh, earrings wow. that she used to wear, right. the style that she wore. Right. And But they didn't have the whole street blocked off. Right. Like, that struck me right away. It's the first thing I thought. Why is not the street blocked off? Ross, we got to end it. Thank you so well, much for uh, chatting with us. We have to end this us. case, that's for sure. We want to find out who did this. We want to find out. We will chat again about this and uh, other issues, although often we chat with you about terrorism, so certainly we don't uh, want that conversation to happen anytime soon. God bless. <laughs> All right. Ross McLean, our security expert and former police officer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.